Everybody, welcome back to the Noel Castler podcast, episode 80. Broke out the trusty late 60s Beetle bass today. It's the first day of fall, the autumnal equinox, they call it. And uh, figured I'd bring in some low end frequencies. You know, it's, it's time for that kind of energy, right? We're transitioning. We're going from the summer, which is very trebly, <laughs> you know, and sunny and hot to that cooler more subtle season, which happens to be my favorite. I love autumn, you know, and I love this particular time in autumn because you see the trees and they're just about to turn. I'm here in the Hudson Valley, which is probably the best place on the planet to be in New England in the fall, at least in this country. And uh, the beginning is my favorite. You know, everybody aims for the peak foliage for obvious reasons, but I like when it's like, kind of green but you can see it's sort of given up the ghost and it's turning gold and it's turning red and those are the colors it starts with too if you notice in the spring all the buds on the trees before they turn into leaves are the same colors that they turn into in the fall before they fall off and there's something poetic about it you know it's a complete cycle and then of course they grow in the winter we think of them as bare but that's when they're doing their growing so i brought in the base <laughs> If that makes any sense to you guys, welcome back. Thanks for listening. Sorry, it's coming out on Thursday instead of Monday. As I told you, I'm sort of in that September catching up mode. So I'm doing it when I'm feeling it. And that's my prerogative. But I love you guys. And I love the fact that you listen. And you know, we got something to talk about today, right? A lot has happened since last week, because that's how it goes in our country now. And I think, you know, we'll start from the beginning and work back. And we can't not mention Letitia James. New York Attorney General Letitia James brought the fire yesterday. She went after Trump and his kids in a way nobody has, his adult kids, the three that worked for him, the three that were on Celebrity Apprentice, the three that helped bolster and perpetuate the fraud that was and is and always has been the Trump Organization. Right. It's always been a fraud, a front for money laundering, a crappy development that was built in concert with the mob, especially Trump Tower. If you listen to the show, I don't need to hash, you know, hash that stuff out again. You've heard the history of Trump in New York City, but most people haven't, you know, and the modern version of Trump, the Trump that turned into president of the United States was very much, you know, like a uh, collaboration between him and his children. That's why his children came on the show. You know, that's why they sort of were the face of the Trump organization. Ivanka would be the one that would travel around to the new developments and give the pitches to potential investors, you know, overstating the value, being sort of eternally optimistic, lying to people that she too would have a condo and she'd come over and borrow a cup of sugar, which was all bullshit. You know, especially in Trump Baja, where they stole a bunch of money from 
senior citizens that invested and they were going to build a tower, you know, on a toxic waste dump and it never happened. Right. And they took the money and ran and nobody got refunds because it's always a non-refundable deposit. So Ivanka was the face of that grift. You know, Trump knew he was sort of aging out. He knew he belonged to a different generation of New Yorker. You know, he was the carnival barker in the 80s, you know, the crazy Eddie era, you know, where you could just like it was loud and crazy and greed is good. Ivanka and Jared were the more subtler, you know, how do I reach the next generation? How do I sound good? And of course, they're both well-spoken. And, uh, you know, even though they're vapid idiots, she was a smooth operator and she was very, you know, central to Trump Soho, which was another failed operation. And you've heard me talk about how they would have the after parties at Trump Soho and Felix Sater would make introductions between Jared and Ivanka to all these Russian mobster types. And that's the same time that Letitia James was talking about, right? 2010, 2011, she quoted those dates when she was talking about 40 Wall Street, which was one of his properties that, you know, he was inflating the value on. He did it twice in a year in his personal financial statements. You know, it was just... It was ludicrous. You know, we heard the anecdote of him saying he had a 30,000 square foot apartment. Like he already had an 11,000 square foot apartment, which is 11,000 square feet is ridiculously large for a home in the country. <laughs> you know, for a New York City apartment, it's more space than anybody needs. But, uh, you know, Trump's always got to be bigger and better. He'd lie to you about the time of day just to practice, as they say. So, you know, that's where we're at. He's definitely feeling the heat. You know, I watched that interview on Hannity last night, as most of us did. Or actually, I watched the clips. I was watching the new Game of Thrones when it aired. But, uh, you know, you could see he's scared. He's nervous. You know, he's never really been held accountable. And I think the powers that be are nervous, too. Right. That's why Bill Barr immediately went on Fox News and said, oh, this is an overreach. What is she doing? A, referring to A.G. James. Why is she going after his children? They couldn't possibly be involved. What do you mean? They were officers of his organization. You know, they signed off on these financial documents. And Ivanka went to the White House with Trump and brought her husband, you know, who went around the world, you know, shaking down foreign governments to help out his own failed real estate ventures like 666 Fifth Avenue. And Jared, by the way, today, I'm recording this on Thursday, he's, he got an award from the Hungarian embassy in New York City. You know, Hungary is probably, you know, it's a dictatorship. It's run by Viktor Orban. And it's probably one of the most anti-Semitic places on this planet right now. They use George Soros as a sort of symbol, you know, for anti-Semitism, as the right-wingers do here in this country. But the politicians use it, you know, in Hungary. It's, it's a vile place at this particular moment if you care about democracy and human rights and there's jared smiling with his little botoxed face taking an award from them today you know jared's the son of holocaust survivors or the grandson you know his grandparents survived you know and fled and changed their name and came to this country and you've heard me do a deep dive on his dad you know just completely unscrupulous people trump would call jared the jew you know around him in my time around them. And Jared in the beginning wasn't having any of it. He broke up with Ivanka. He was like, I don't want any piece of that. You know, and then Wendy Dang Murdoch made them get back together, said, no, you're going to be a power couple and you guys are going to help rule the world. And literally that was the plan. 
You know, that's what these guys thought that they were doing. That's where that ignorance and hubris came from, right? And it it damn near worked, right? They're still getting away with it. Nobody's, you know, obviously we're discussing the case, but that's a civil case, right? That's not going to end any of them up in jail. They're not going to land in jail. Their, their business for all intents and purposes is probably over and hallelujah, hallelujah. But how did they get away with it for so long? You know, how did the system allow such obvious corruption? If the PAs on the Celebrity Apprentice knew Trump was broke, and he wasn't really a billionaire, you kind of think the IRS might have known that too, right? And again, Bill Barr defending them, you know, whose own daughter, Mary Barr, worked at Treasury, transferred out of SDNY to go work at Treasury when Mnuchin was placed at Treasury to hide Trump's tax returns. And then Trump, after he fired, you know, his first attorney general, because he wouldn't do his bidding, the little dude from the South, (laughs) the little leprechaun guy, I can't remember his name, you know, that, uh, (laughs) but uh, after he got, you know, sent packing, they brought in Bill Barr. And what was the first thing Bill, Bill Barr did? He brought in his daughter to help protect Trump and help hide Trump's tax returns. Trump's tax returns, the first thing Mnuchin did was put him on a special server that like five or six people only had access to right? And Mary Barr Daly was one of those people, right? And she's 41 years old, the same age as, you know, Ivanka, you know, Don Jr.'s 44, Eric Trump's 38. Those aren't kids. Those are adults. You know, there's actual kids in prison that none of these DOJ people are bitching about, right? But when it comes to billionaire, fake billionaire kids, everyone's supposed to be outraged. So think of Bill Barr and his corruption and his cover-up You know, not only enlisting his own daughter to help hide Trump's financial malfeasance, right? But the Jeffrey Epstein thing, you know, think of what he did. Bill Barr, before he was attorney general, worked at a white shoe law firm that represented Jeffrey Epstein. And ahead of Epstein's arrest, which they basically kept Barr out of the loop on, when he got arrested, Barr said, I'm going to recuse myself. And then he immediately did a 180 and said, no, I'm back on the case. And everything about that case has to come through me. Then Bill Barr takes a trip to New York City and Epstein ends up dead, you know, by suicide, you know, after being upbeat and meeting with his lawyer and thinking he was going to get away with it like he did last time under Alex Acosta, who was one of Trump's appointees, you know, at transportation or wherever he originally was, you know, HHS. So, whatever one of those is correct, you can correct me. (laughs) You know, it's all running together at this point, but you get my point. And that guy had to resign in shame when the Epstein thing went down because they were like, you're the one who gave him this sweetheart deal that would allow Epstein to leave prison during the day, go back to his Palm Beach mansion and continue to molest high school kids and junior high school girls and stuff. And, you know, you've heard me say millions of times, that's what Jeffrey Epstein was running on 71st street, East 71st street, you know, I think it was number nine or number 11, East 71st. It's around the corner from, you know, a meeting I went to every day. And it was like a brothel for billionaires. I know a woman who was in there and she said to me, Noel, you won't believe what those men did to women, you know? And it wasn't just Trump, as I've said before, but Trump was like his running buddy. You know, that was a, that was a solid relationship and friendship. And you know, it goes back to Bill Barr's father, Donald Barr, who was a teacher at Dalton and hired 
Jeffrey Epstein, even though he'd only had a few semesters at, you know, Cooper Union, he didn't have a college degree. And all of a sudden he's teaching physics at Dalton, you know, in the early 70s, one of the most expensive prep schools on the Upper East Side, you know, and then they both leave under an NDA. Nobody knows why Donald Trump, Donald Barr rather goes to teach up at the Hackley School in Westchester. And I know people who knew him then. I actually went to that school's prom. Donald, Donald Barr was already gone by then. This, this is the late 80s. Donald Barr went there late 70s, early 80s. He retired, but he was known as Chester the Molester. I know an older brother or somebody who went to school with him of somebody. And they said, yeah, like there was two type of students. There was the guys who spent the nights and the day students. And they're like, you don't want to be a boarding student at that school. You know, so and we all know about the sci-fi novels, you know, with alien sex slaves and all that kind of stuff. And Jeffrey Epstein had a replica on his island of the temple that's in the book, which is about getting teenage girls to be your sex slave. I swear to God, I'm not making any of this up. I know it sounds insane and unseemly. And of course it is. And it's that dark underworld that nobody wants to look at. And I'm making those points because thank God they're finally after going after the, you know, the financial stuff, you know, of a guy who was a known sexual predator for decades in New York City. You know how I feel. He should have gone to jail for, you know, for raping people. You know, that's what you hold a man accountable for first, because that's the most heinous of crimes, you know. But again, rich, powerful white guy with cops on his payroll. So he got away with that, but he's not getting away with it anymore, at least the financial stuff. And hopefully the vice crimes too, because my friend E. Jean Carroll is back in the news. She's got another suit with Robbie Kaplan and uh, they're going after Trump. So the walls are closing in. And my point is, I promise you, I have one here. Think of Bill Barr, who already had to resign ahead of January 6th right? He obviously got wind of what was going down and what they were planning. And he's like, I'm out of here before Christmas. You know, this is the guy who got, you know, Elliot Abrams and all those dudes off for the massacre at El Mazote, right? Which was a Contra Reagan funded, you know, human rights atrocity that was basically prosecuted by the United States in the early 80s, you know, mid eighties and Bill Barr got all those guys off. You know, he's a guy who has no moral compunction about what somebody did if they're doing it in the name of what he thinks, you know, is the sort of white Christian patriarchy or whatever these Opus Dei guys really believe. Right. So my point is he's not a, the most moral guy in the world. You know, he, his career started at the CIA he was attorney general twice. He, he's got a stomach for a lot of stuff. And whatever he got wind of that Trump and his crazy cabal were planning, he's like, I'm out of here. Right. And we all remember that. And I think he resigned on December 23rd or something. So that guy, you know, the same, you know, guy who tried to look like a hero at his deposition when he was holding court and telling us how he was calling bullshit on everything Trump was saying and pushing back on all the election lies and stuff, somehow says yes right away yesterday to the call from Fox News about appearing and defending Trump at a time when any rational, sane person who had been associated with Donald Trump and watched that press conference would have been like, I am out of here. <laughs> you know, I don't know that guy. Donald who? Lose my number. You know, anybody with a brain sees that ship is sinking. 
But somehow Bill Barr finds himself motivated to hop in the Fox town car, you know, and show up on Sixth Avenue and go up into the studio. He doesn't even call in or something. This isn't a Zoom call. Barr gets his ass down there and starts defending Trump immediately, which makes you should make you rather wonder who's really calling the shots. You know, how valuable an asset is Donald Trump to the Murdoch organization that they can make a guy like Bill Barr jump when they say jump to defend a guy who's indefensible at this point, right? For a, a myriad of crimes. There's five or six different investigations from Georgia voter fraud to attacking the Capitol. You know, you name it. A guy who was twice impeached as president and Barr is there saying, yeah, there's, this is a nothing burger. You know, when she had him dead to rights, A.G. James did. You know, it's a two, three hundred page indictment. And she said she's just scr scratching the surface. And I happen to know that's true. She is just scr scratching the surface. That's that's nothing. And that's something. Right. You know, think of think of that. You know, think of like, I think when this is all said and done, Trump will be the greatest criminal in American history. And I don't mean greatest as an accolade. I mean, the most impactful, you know, like how, how could that guy have gotten away with all that and certainly done the most damage, you know, more than a Jeffrey Dahmer or a John Wayne Gacy who were horrible human beings, right? Who murdered savagely dozens of people. Trump let a million people ultimately die of COVID because he didn't care about the response. Sure, maybe 400,000 or 500,000 died on his watch, but he set the politics in motion that made people not wear masks, that not get, didn't, you know, not get vaccined. You know, he divided this country at a crucial time. You know, in all of our lifetimes, there was no time we needed to come together more than in 2020, in March of 2020, in spring of, you know, April. And Trump read the tea leaves in six weeks after Jared told him there was no money to be made. And he said, all right, we're going to open everything up by Easter and we're going to rob the treasury with PPP funds and I'll hand them out to all my buddies and you don't have to pay it back, <laughs> you know, as long as you give me a tight too, give me a little taste, capiche? So that's what they did. They raided the treasury and they told people not to behave responsibly and get vaccinated and wear masks. And where did it leave us? It gave fuel for the Joe Rogans and the Aaron Rodgers and the idiots of this world to have something to talk about on their podcast and act like they were manning up by not complying with something that was designed to protect the elderly, to protect children, to protect your teachers and your doctors and your nurses and the real heroes in a civil society. You know, the people who work in restaurants and bring you your food, right? They weren't worthy of protection by the old white men that only look at how to make a buck off of a tragedy. That's how that went down. So Trump will be seen as the biggest criminal in all time, in my opinion, you know, when, when this is all said and done. And the most dangerous thing about Trump, even though he's now, you know, he's going down, you know, he, the wheels are coming off of that boat. You know, I, I don't think he'll ever probably spend a night in prison still, but, you know, He's going to melt down and he's going to lose the empire and it's going to get ugly, as you could see last night with his big diaper sticking out. If you if you if you saw the shots, you don't want to be around Trump at this point. But, you know, the scary thing is he's spawned so many imitators. As I say often on this podcast, he turned this thing into a lifestyle brand, a very 
movable feast for morons, you know, <laughs> like, and all you got to do is look at Arizona, look at Ohio, you know, certainly look at Florida and see how he's created, you know, what the new conservative movement is, which is just pure viciousness and racism, you know, and, and treating fellow human beings like pawns, as Ron DeSantis did in his stunt last week. You know, if you saw the car rant, you can pretty much see how pissed off I am about that. And it's part of the reason I haven't done a podcast yet this week, because I don't want to have an aneurysm on YouTube, <laughs> you know, but I'm pissed. Who wouldn't be? Think of those people that were victimized by Ron DeSantis for his political stunt. They walked through seven countries to get to Texas. They walked through the jungle eating unripe bananas and mangoes and iguanas. They drowned in rivers. They died of exhaustion on the march. They got robbed and raped, you know, by people who preyed upon them along the journey. They drowned in the Rio Grande. And then they finally get to San Antonio. They get to Texas. And what they hope is a better life, not on a whim, because they're fleeing Venezuela. They're fleeing the same kind of Marxist dictator that the Republicans used to pretend they were against. That's what that whole Iran-Contra stuff was about that I cited at the top of this show. Bill Barr and the Contras and Reagan and all those scumbags were fighting the Sandinistas because they said they were Marxists and they were an enemy of democracy, right? Which Maduro is certainly a dictator in that same mode. And we don't ever really care about those guys. We just care about our own interests. That's been the history of South America every time in American imperialism. And I could do a month-long show on all that. I won't go too deep into it, but just think of that. You know, they were fleeing, they were political refugees. You know, there were there were migrants that were looking for asylum. That's legal. They weren't here illegally. They were here under our charter and respecting our laws. And they're being manipulated for political gain to get, you know, rubes angered up because Trump set the framework, demonize the Mexicans, demonize the others. That'll get the idiots clapping and voting for me. So these guys make this perilous journey with their children and they end up in Texas. You know, and a woman approaches them, a tall, blonde, well-dressed woman that sounds a lot like Christina Pushaw, who is Ron DeSantis's right-hand thing. <laughs> you know, I don't even call her a woman. You know, she's a monster. She blocked me a long time ago on Twitter. But, you know, she's his henchman. Everybody's got their Eichmann, you know, and that's his. And I don't know that it's her, but it sure sounds like her. So some woman approaches these guys. And they give them pamphlets and they give them false hope saying, hey, if you go to this place, Massachusetts, you'll get an apartment and job training and you'll get health care and we'll help out your children and we'll get them in school. And here's a couple meal cards from McDonald's. Why don't you think about it? We got a nice warm hotel room or nice, you know, clean hotel room for you to spend the night in with your family. We'll feed you. We'll put you on this plane and then you'll be in a state that's going to take care of you, you know? Imagine how your heart feels if you hear something like that. You know, you're the mom of a child who just went through that struggle trying to provide a better life. And here's somebody offering you some hope. You know, and you get to look in your kid's eyes for the first time in months. And say, hey, it's going to be all right. 
you know, look, this nice lady is going to help us. We're going to go to this place and start a new life. Everything's going to be okay. You know, you imagine the depth of love and parenting and strength it takes to already make that journey and then some have somebody offer that to you thinking you finally catching a break after years of turmoil right because maduro's been cracking down and they've been starving down there for a long time basically you're finally catching a break and then you get on that plane and you think you're going to boston you know you think you're going to be getting taken care of and then right before you land they say psych We're going to Martha's Vineyard, an island you've never heard of off the coast, two hours off the coast at the beginning of the off season on an island that, you know, I just got back from Nantucket. You know, these places aren't set up to receive immigrants. They don't have the social services, you know, they're not, Nantucket's got a hospital, but you know, it's, it's not where you want to be in that kind of situation. So they get told right before they land that they've been punked essentially. They get off this plane and they walk for three miles with a hand-drawn map. You know, that those places are rural. It's like, it's pine trees and sand dunes and, you know, potato fields and stuff. You'd be like, where the hell are we? This is not Boston, you know? And then those mothers have to look into their kids' eyes and still try to be upbeat, knowing that they've been had that their journey was once again perilous. You know, I can't imagine what that feels like. I can't imagine doing that to another human being for political gain. You know, as Governor Abbott is too, he's sending him to Texas or he's sending him to Chicago from Texas and New York City. A woman killed herself, a mother in a shelter in New York City this week, a migrant who'd been shipped up there by Greg Abbott. She killed herself in, you know, in the shelter. She couldn't take it anymore. And thank God in Martha's Vineyard, people stepped up quickly and came to these people's aids and brought them food, clothing, and shelter. And I don't care if I look like I'm going to cry. If you're not crying over this, you're not human, man. You know, this is disgusting. This has gone beyond the pale. You know, I'm not... Oh, it's just, you know, it's, 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 it's the meanness. That's the product here, right? They thought it was a stunt the very night it happened. And DeSantis sent a videographer. He paid a videographer to go on the plane with these people. So some scumbag is holding a video camera watching this so he can send in the tape to Fox News who got the heads up in advance, just like they get the heads up when they drop migrants off at five in the morning in front of the Naval Observatory in D.C., which is Kamala Harris's, Vice President Harris's residence, right? So it's all a big publicity game, you know? And I saw Mike Pompeo, another grifter scumbag who's had it easy his whole life, and we paid for his education at West Point, laughing with some rapey-looking frat boy scumbag, Jesse Waters, that night. They're laughing at video, cackling, quoting James Taylor lyrics. Ha-ha, look at the migrants now. They got fire and rain and migrants. That's the home of Barack Obama. That's where Whoopi's got a place. You know what I mean? They tried to make it a stunt that they could turn on liberals as if, you know, 
as if it's it's not even all liberals there or, or anywhere you know what i mean but they tried to you know they tried to they were hoping that there would be outrage and rejection of these migrants and there was embrace right and then Massachusetts is doing the right thing and they've moved them to Cape Cod, which has much more of an infrastructure to deal with that stuff. And that's actually a great place to end up. And I hope many of them do get to settle there because that's a wonderful place to live full of really good people, you know? So hopefully there is a silver lining for some of those families. Just got to take a breath, man, because it's overwhelming, you know, but think of those scumbags laughing on Fox News about it that very night and that's the product they're selling this desensitization you know like we've become empathy has become a bad word on the right you don't want to be empathetic right let's laugh at these people let's laugh at them from the comfort of our lazy boys drinking our bud light watching some idiot you know millionaire who lives in New York City and is sitting in a studio on 6th Avenue but he's telling you Joe lunch bucket out there in Indiana that these guys are doing a cool thing on your behalf and punishing migrants to stick it to Biden and the liberals. It's disgusting. And it's a cottage industry. It's not just a cottage industry. It's a multinational corporation. Rupert Murdoch is sitting on a yacht getting grapes fed to him while this is going on. You know what I mean? And he's looking at his bottom line. That's why he's picking up the phone yesterday and telling Bill Barr to get his fat ass down to Fox Studios and defend Trump. Because you can't let it sink too much. And when you start going after the money, you start scaring these guys because that's what it's all about is money. They're manipulating people's and their emotions for money. And they're using the most vulnerable of us as a poker chip, you know, trying to put a pile of them in front of them. So whoever has the biggest pile gets to be president next that's what DeSantis is doing because he saw it worked for Trump, you know. And by the way, Trump's build the wall chant came from Sam Numberg, who I know in real life, and Roger Stone. Sam was a big cokehead, so is Roger Stone. I think Sam may have gotten sober. He was trying for a while, but you saw him drunk and high on CNN when this was all going down. But and I knew him right around that time when he was trying to get some help and. You know, he's a scumbag, right? Roger Stone is a scumbag. And Trump couldn't remember to be racist enough at these rallies. So they wanted him to mention immigration because their, you know, research had showed that was going to work, right? And Trump was just talking about himself all night. You know, I'm the biggest developer. I got the most money. <laughs> and he wasn't doing any policy points. So to get him to remember that, they came up with the build the wall thing, the chant. It was a, you know, it was a, it was a memory device, a mnemonic device, right? That's all it was. And a grift, because then they could get kickbacks and put a bunch of federal money, you know, towards the contractors. And we all know it's a joke of a wall. And that's not just humans that that wall screws up. It screws over animals because it cuts their migration and antelope and all these other species suffer too, you know? butterflies because they put it through a national protected park. I mean, it's just disgusting. It's raping the planet and pillaging people for profit, right? And there's a full-on race to do it. And we're going to win, by the way. Democracy is going to win. Love always wins. But we got to have awareness and clear-sighted you know, vision 
as to what we're really up against and what's motivating these people and how low they will go. You know, when, when the Nazi party was starting out, they didn't know how much people were going to take. And to their surprise, there wasn't a lot of pushback. People acquiesced right away. So they marched into Australia, Austria, you know, and then they started registering Jewish people and they started punishing them and taking their property and making them clean up streets and, you know, scrub away any symbols of an independent Austria. And then it was a Nazi territory, right? And then they just did that all over Europe and people went along with it. You know, not everybody stood up and fought back. And that's terrifying because that fascism is on the march. You know, Italy has a fascist leader now. You know, they're doing goddamn Sieg Heil signs. Trump did it at his rally last week in Ohio. You know, they played the QAnon music and everybody's got their hand in the air and their fingers in the air. You know, Orban, who I mentioned earlier, it's on the march around this planet. Europe, you know, all over Europe, England, right? Now that we've gone over the two weeks of, you know, <laughs> funeral, you know, and chance to be snarky towards Meghan Markle, they got a real problem on their hands because this la latest prime minister, you know, like the fifth one in as many years or something ridiculous is, is like a, you know, it's like a Trump chick, you know, just a completely unqualified idiot who's going to allow fracking and protect it and protect industry at the cost of people, you know, and they do this by manipulating emotions and conservatism, you know, and conservatism is basically racism married with economic op opportunity for the select few. Right. And Trump was modeling his whole game on Putin and what Putin was doing. And, and that's obviously falling apart right now as we speak. You know, every dude between 18 and 60 is trying to get his ass out of Russia right now. They're walking into classrooms and pulling people out of there, guys, and making them enlist. You know, that's going to be a nightmare and a humanitarian nightmare. You know, UN's in, in session this week here in New York. And, and, you know, the secretary gave his opening speech and he said, the world's on fire. He says, you're not even registering all the problems. We're going to have mass famine and starvation because there's been no fertilizer because of the war in Ukraine, the Russian aggression, you know, the Russian unwarranted war, you know, and that's going to have a ripple effect, effect across North Africa, across Asia, you know, it's where they get bread and noodles from and things that feed people for cheap, you know? And he made a great point. He said, oil companies should be paying for these disasters. You know, in the last couple of weeks, we had Pakistan. We had a hurricane in Puerto Rico. They barely made the news because they were still trying to bury the queen, you know, and no disrespect to my listeners in Europe and in, and in England, you know, UK, which is not Europe. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I'm not trying to push your buttons. I'm saying, look, we had a country that never recovered from the last hurricane because Trump used it to grift and let his buddy Ryan Zinke go down there and steal $350 million because he took the money that was designed to rebuild the electrical grid and gave it to his college roommate who had a company called Whitefish Electric with two employees, <laughs> right? And he failed and he couldn't rebuild the grid. And the power went out a day before the hurricane even struck. And then they had massive flooding and bridges that had been built since Hurricane Maria, wash out again. Imagine what that feels like. You're part of the United States. You're sitting there in the dark with water rushing through your house. And you know what happened last time. 
nobody cared and it didn't get fixed, right? And you're not even showing up on the news, right? But anyway, the Secretary General of the UN said, you know, we should make oil companies pay for this because they're causing it. And he's right because they're making record profits, okay? ExxonMobil has never made more money than they are in the last year, you know? Ditto all of them, BP, everybody. Tax them, make them pay for that. They're calling it. You know, if you, some of you guys have been to my comedy shows, I do this whole bit of like, we're naming hurricanes after people, right? Hurricane Fiona. It doesn't sound scary. It's like Fiona, Fiona's coming. She sounds nice, right? Name it Hurricane Exxon Mobil, you know, name it, you know, the storm surge Sunoco, name it after something that reflects the reality because these storms are getting stronger and we're just getting started in hurricane season. You know, and if you're listening, why did I divest, you know, diverge into hurricanes? Because it's global warming and it's caused by the same greed and the same lack of awareness over burning fossil fuels that's causing the fascism, right? Because the industries, the Coke industries, primarily, right? Petrochemical industry, they bring stuff through pipelines. That's their big gig is the, you know, machinations of this stuff, how you transport it pipelines, you know, and, and, and refineries, you know, that's where the real money is. You know, there's a lot of money in the, in the product itself, but the processing of the product, you control that, you control the world. And that's the way they want to keep it. And how they do it is fascism, right? Because you can't let people know that they shouldn't be driving a big Ford F-150, you know, and running their lawnmower every day and doing a thousand other irresponsible things. Right. So you don't want a leader who's talking conservation, who's talking Green New Deal, who's talking about the emergency we're facing. You want an idiot like Trump or a Trump, you know, clone like DeSantis, who's going to acquiesce to industry in every case. You know, when DeSantis became a rep, you know, he was a U.S. congressman before he became governor. He was a freshman congressman. You know, he only got to Congress you know, in like 16 or something, right? And right away, he started getting meetings with the Koch brothers. And those meetings are hard to get, right? But he was getting the attention of Koch Industries right away, and they backed him. He impressed upon them that he knew the deal, right? And they backed him, and he got that dark money right away. So they owned that politician. And then they saw Trump, and they saw how, you know, how that moved the ball forward. You know, in many ways, they've never been in a stronger position. The Republicans this very day used a filibuster to block an attempt to identify dark money in campaigns, right? That's the Koch brothers. That's Leonard Leo. That's these industries that don't want things to change. If you listen to this podcast, you hear me talk about that every week because that's the most important thing we're facing, right? Without a climate... We don't have anything. And without democracy and fair and equal representation, we have fascism, right? And when fascism is being funded by unlimited amounts of money, by certain amount of people that want to control everybody else, they want to have so much wealth that nobody else can catch up, then you're in trouble. And when politics becomes theater, you know, masochistic theater, sadist stunts, like what Ron DeSantis did, you have to look deep in yourself, you know? And we, 
we're, we're in that moment. We're in that moment of soul searching as a nation. You know, we've been there for a while, but we're at an inflection point. And I think anybody who's sensitive can, can feel it, you know, and that's why we got to, we got to tip our hat to AG James because she came out swinging yesterday. Do not mess with that woman. Strong, fierce, intelligent black woman. That's what I'm talking about. That's who taught me. That's who my teachers were. You know, I had the blessing, as many of you know, of growing up in a very diverse neighborhood and going to a school in a neighborhood that was all white, but the teachers were not. And that was a goddamn good thing. And that's another thing that DeSantis is railing against. That's why they're attacking education, right? That's why they attack CRT. They don't want people hearing the truth. They want them hearing a myth that will allow them to continue to get manipulated by the powers that be that don't want folks looking at who's really screwing them over. They want to think some guy who's trying to sneak over a border is coming to take their way of life. No, he's not. He's coming to give you a gift that you don't even know you need. He's going to bring gratitude. She's going to bring gratitude. They want a safe place to live, a job, and they want their kids to have more opportunities than they did. That's what we're supposed to be founded on as a nation. And seeing it fresh through new eyes from people who have struggled and then got here and only want a chance to participate and work hard. That's a spiritual gift because you're going to get gratitude from them instead of the you know, bitterness and malice that you're getting from your leaders and your culture and your snarky frat boys on Fox News laughing at the suffering of human beings who never did a damn thing to you, right? So they're railing against the very thing they need, just like when they make fun of the Green New Deal and environmentalists and lefties. They're going to die too in these floods. As a matter of fact, most of them are going to die first, <laughs> you know? New York City is going to be okay, but Louisiana, you know, Mississippi, you know, all these other places, they don't even have water in Jackson, Mississippi. I've spent so much time in Jackson, Mississippi. It was a common stop when I toured. It's a beautiful city. They got one of the best civil rights museums in the country there. Jackson, Jackson Brown and I toured it. You know, we got a private tour one day. Wonderful people, people who've been dissed forever. It's one of the poorest states in this country. And you got Brett Favre stealing millions that was meant to feed children. You know, this week, the FBI arrested 44 people in Wisconsin for stealing an, like $350 million or some astronomical amount to, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars or something that was intended to feed poor children during COVID. Fraud. That's what the Republicans are. Fraud. That's what, you know, Christianity is at this point. Fraud grifters trying to keep you from the truth and you know poison you with toxic emotions and hate love feels better it feels a lot better to put your arms around those migrants and open your home or make sure somebody else nearby does give them a blanket give them a coat give them a chance at a job because they're not looking for charity and they'll work your ass into the ground if you give them half a chance. And we all know that. That's who builds this country. Still, I was just in Nantucket for two weeks, right? 
tons of construction because the one percenters, everybody's got a big, everybody wants a big stupid house now. So the island itself is changing. There's too many McMansions going up. I was staying off of, you know, Cliff Road, which is not my favorite side of town. No offense. It's just, you know, it's kind of the conservative flashy stuff, you know, all the big, I prefer Sconset and the little, you know, fishermen's cottages and stuff. But anyway, I was in the, you know, the Republican side of town for lack of a better term. And there's all these construction projects and it was immigrants doing the work, right? A white guy would pull up in a shiny new pickup truck with a fancy sign on the door of his car, you know, his construction company name, but I never saw those guys swinging a hammer, you know, but I saw a bunch of migrants working their asses off. You know, I don't know they're migrants. I saw people that didn't look like they were born here earning their place here, earning their money, building the houses that somebody's going to go into in a couple of years, turn on Tucker Carlson and watch this crap because I saw it. I saw dudes in their McMansions watching Tucker Carlson at night, you know, while homes all around them are getting built by the same people he's demonizing. You know, he's been telling people to attack teachers and hospitals for months now, and no one's even talking about it. The FBI arrested a woman in Massachusetts this week or last week. She was calling in bomb threats to the Children's Hospital of Boston for a month and disabling, you know, their operations, scaring doctors and nurses who were trying to save kids' lives, kids, kids battling cancer coming from all over the country. It's one of the top hospitals in the country. They're harassing them. This week, MAGA activists on behalf of January 6th insurrectionists who were in jail decided they were going to call the VA suicide hotline and flood it with phone calls so they couldn't help vets. They had to listen to their bullshit, you know, free the prisoners, they're political prisoners. No, they're not. Those are idiots that attacked the Capitol. But these guys are calling a vet suicide hotline. The same people they pretend to support when they wave their flags and do their fake ass salutes at a MAGA rally and put a screaming eagle and a flag on their pickup truck. They don't know the first thing about patriotism, these guys. You know, if you don't have empathy and love in your heart for somebody else, you're not a patriot. A real patriot fights to protect things that are vulnerable, you know, that need help. Right. That's what we're supposed to stand for, not mean spirited frat boys who've had every opportunity in life. That's why it pissed me off to see Mike Pompeo cackling with Jesse Waters the night this happened. You haven't seen him since, by the way, because I think even he knew that was a bad move. And he's a move and he's a guy who grifted his entire time at state. I don't even have the energy to go through it now. I've told you about it before. I mean, he would make aides do his dishes, pick up his dry cleaning. He made a security detail, move his wife's mom from her house in Louisiana back to Overland Park, Kansas. The dude is corrupt as could be, you know, and he's a guy who got to be first in his class at West Point or something like that. One of the first classes that allowed women, by the way. So I bet you he wasn't too nice to the female cadets as has been well-documented, you know, if you, if you speak to any of the women that first went through that organization, they all got hazed and harassed. And I'm sure old fucking plump Pompeo was part of that. You know, he's not so plump anymore. He's paleo Pompeo. 
I know I shouldn't make fun of his look. Somebody said he had cancer. It was, God, I think he just slimmed up, you know, thinking he's going to run. They all think they're going to run. They all want their chance at the wheel because they saw what an idiot Donald Trump was and how much he got away with. And they were all like, man, if you gave me that power, I wouldn't get caught and you'd never get me out of office. That's what you're facing. You know, that's what we're up against. That's what I'm talking about when I say we need clear vision and awareness of what we face. And we're going to do it. We're going to do it together. You know, thank you. Thanks for listening. You know, I know it's been a bit of a rant. This is why it's taken me so long in the week. And I'm glad I got through that, you know, without crying too much. But the immigrant thing freaks me out. And, you know, I was thinking, you know, you got to you got to do the things that make you feel something, not distract you, but help you understand your world. That's what great art does, as I often say. I was thinking about Leonard Cohen. Somebody asked me about Tom Waits or somebody recently, and I'd worked with him and Neil Young when when Tom was inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And back in the day, we used to do it at the Waldorf in New York City on Fifth Avenue. And it was in a ballroom. It was just an inside baseball kind of thing. It was, wasn't a TV show on HBO and a big concert like it is now. It was this casual, like, very exclusive, cool thing. And I was luckily got to do it since the 90s. And I have a long association with Rock Hall and could tell you tons of stories and spent a lot of time in Cleveland. I was going to go work for them full time at one point. I'm digressing. But I remember one night I got, I got you know, I showed up there. We we're going to do that. We used to do it in one day, too. We'd have like maybe rehearsals with some bands the night before. And then it would just be the, the show day. And I showed up and they're like, you're going to be with Leonard Cohen tonight. And Leonard Cohen was like, and I still, you know, he passed away. He's like an idol of mine. It's like, you, you're going to hang out with Bob Dylan all night. You know, I was like, what? You know what I mean? This guy, you know, his album, The Future, you know, all of his work, but The Future really spoke to me when it came out because he was talking about democracy and the crumbling of democracy, you know, and, and almost the, you know, he's a poet in a way I'm not, but almost the, uh, the inevitable kind of, cataclysmic road we were heading down you know with the way democracy was was heading in this country and he's a canadian but you know lived in lived in the u.s and uh at least one point you know and uh so i was going i had to go up to his hotel room you know to, to meet him because that's how that show worked we'd give people day rooms in, in the waldorf and you know we'd have the rehearsal would be in this ballroom downstairs in the show. So they'd be like, you got to go up at four o'clock to Leonard Cohen's Cohen's, you know, hotel room. And I'm like, this is crazy. <laughs> you know, what do I say? And I remember like thinking about all his lyrics and, and thinking of, of him as a sage and all he had told me, you know, through his, through his art that it influenced me. And I knocked on the door and he came out and he looks at me and he's slick, beautiful, you know, dark suit on, a fedora. And he just goes, hey, brother, we're ready to go to work. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, like, oh, my God, dude. And I was like, yes, sir, let's do it. I went downstairs and rehearsed, you know. And uh, it was just amazing. You know, I got to go see him uh, at the garden a few weeks later. And, and when I toured uh, Canada with Jackson Brown. Jackson wanted to honor Leonard Cohen, who's obviously from Canada, and uh, had me look up the lyrics to, to Thousand Kisses Deep, 
a Leonard Cohen song. I think I'm getting the title right. And I remember scrambling to download the lyrics, like in the middle of a concert, he was doing a solo acoustic concert. And, uh, you know, I put all the lyrics out there for Jackson to study real quick. And he, he covered the song and, uh, you know, I was sitting alone in, uh, in the dressing room. I was the road manager, tour manager. And, uh, hearing those lyrics, you know, and, and how they hit me in my heart, but they spoke to the suffering and the loneliness that I felt inside and connected me with the universal, you know, that I wasn't the first guy to feel what I was feeling or go through what I'm going through, you know, that we're in this together, you know, and when people warn you and give you messages, those can be lights to help you find your way down the path. And when Leonard Cohen greeted me that way and said, Hey, brother, are we ready to go to work? Like he looked me in the eye, you know, and, and brought me in to whatever it was he already knew I felt about him, right? Because he could just tell. He could tell by looking at me that I was a fan and I was moved. And he didn't distance himself. He didn't have an assistant come and greet me. He said, hey, brother, you know, it's powerful. It's powerful stuff, if that makes any sense to you. You know, and that's a guy who was brilliant, you know, who, who called a lot of this, as many people do. And the point is awareness, love, compassion, the highest attributes and virtues you can reach for are what we need to reach for now. You know, there's time for vice. There's time for having fun. I'm not talking about that. You know, I'm talking about love. I'm talking about changing this place and reacting to the world with no fear in your heart, with an open heart full of love and compassion and getting in the fight, getting out there. Kindness in any element helps. You see a spider in your house, go put him outside, make sure he's okay. You know what I mean? I don't mean you have to call him up later. <laughs> I mean, just make sure it doesn't, don't kill any sentient being that you don't have to help life along and it'll help you. All right. So that's enough for this week. Thanks for listening. I know it's heavy as always. I promise one of these, one of these days we'll just talk about, uh, I don't know, the Brady Bunch or something. I don't know. But anyway, thanks for listening. Um, you can find me on Twitter, noelcastler.com. I've been writing these tweed, threads, tweds, threads on Twitter, where I try to do a little more deep dives on some complex issues. And it gets hard because I get a lot of bots and trolls and stuff. So I'm thinking about putting out like a newsletter or something like that, where I can write this kind of stuff. Sometimes you can write what you can't say in a way, you know, how music you can play, you know, where, where words don't work. Sometimes, you know, actually just writing out my thoughts without the constant interaction helps. I mean, I know that's what this is, <laughs> but this is me talking. There's no script here. I just turn the thing on and I go for an hour and I appreciate you listening. But I think if I try to kind of uh, concentrate some of these ideas in, in, in a written form, it might be helpful. But so I'm thinking about doing that and ever trying to connect with you guys. And uh, let me know. Let me know what you think. Take care of yourselves. Enjoy the season. It's a beautiful time of year. We're obviously in a heat wave. You know, if you're on the East Coast, we're having an Indian summer. Get out and enjoy it. You know, love each other. I love you. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. This is episode 80 of the Noel Castler podcast. Peace. <laughs>